Well, good morning and thanks for uh, being here today. And I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it or turn it on uh, to uh, 1 Peter, the passage that Nicole read for us uh, earlier. And i um, grateful to get to uh, preach today. Uh, a little intimidated competing with Finding Dory, but uh, we will do the best that we can. Uh, I wanted to just draw your attention to a flyer that's out in the lobby from Lifeline, uh, the ministry I serve with, where we are engaged in proclaiming the gospel to the nations using the platform of adoption and orphan care. And uh, parents, especially, this is for you. If you would like uh, this summer to find something uh, other than a swimming pool and a video game for your children to engage in, let me encourage you to have them think about having a lemonade stand for orphans. Uh, We're calling this Stand for Orphans. And they could have a lemonade stand, or it could be popsicles, or cupcakes, or brownies, or dog biscuits, or whatever might be appropriate uh, for your neighborhood. And uh, right now, I think we have uh, about 30 different state kids in about 30 different states that are doing lemonade stands this summer for Stand for Orphans. And uh, those proceeds from those lemonade stands are going to go to care for orphans in the 30-plus countries that Lifeline is engaged in. And so... You can find more about this at StandForOrphans.com or at our website, LifelineChild.org. And so I would encourage you to do that. And just grateful for the partnership that uh, Lifeline has with Restoration and the heart that this church has for adoption and orphan care. First Peter. Uh, I want to introduce you to the book of First Peter today. For some of you, this may be an old friend. For some of you, this may be the first time that uh, you've really... Uh, engaged with this book at any level. Uh, I'm right now in my personal Bible study going through the book of First Peter, and so uh, I really recommend uh, reading and studying the Bible book by book for several reasons. One, it was written that way. It was written a book at a time, uh, and so we kind of get the, the flow of that book. We get the continuity of that book. We get the context of that book, and... Um, it, it guards us from just focusing on maybe a few favorite passages that we have here and there in the Bible, but working book by book. So I'm doing that right now uh, with First Peter. I'm trying to uh, grasp the theme of the book. If you are a Bible student, then one of the goals you should have is to discover what is the theme of the book that you're studying. What is the theme of each book of the Bible? For example, at Restoration, Pastor Anthony is leading us through Philippians. And we are seeing that the theme of the book of Philippians is finding joy in your circumstances. And so hopefully we could kind of introduce the theme of 1 Peter for you today and, uh, and have you uh, take a look at that. Whenever you approach a book of the Bible uh, and you're going to read through or study through a book of the Bible, there's some things that are good to know. One is uh, it's good to know who wrote it. Obviously, um, the author of 1 Peter uh, most Bible scholars believe that it was the Apostle Peter who wrote First Peter uh, and also wrote Second Peter. Who is the audience? Uh, we'll look at that in just a minute a little bit more, but he's writing to Christians who used to live in Palestine and more specifically in the Jerusalem area. But because of persecution, they have uh, been dispersed and have had to move north, move actually to another country, to another culture, to another language. And now they find themselves in this strange place, away from everything that was familiar to them, Christ followers in a land that is not uh, known for Christ followers. And Peter's writing to them 
to instruct and encourage them. So that's the audience. That's kind of the setting and the context that they are now away from home. Um, the Bible calls them exiles. And uh, so Peter is, is writing to them, how do, you, how do you live for Christ when you're in a culture that is hostile to the gospel? And uh, I began studying First Peter um, when I just lately have begun to see some of the hostility that there is even in our own culture and literally around the world uh, towards the gospel and towards Christ followers. And so that's kind of the occasion of the book, the theme of the book on uh, dealing with the issue of, of suffering and how do we as Christians uh, live for Christ, shine for Christ in a culture that doesn't necessarily love Jesus. And so that's where we want to look at today. So we read First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through 12. And uh, I actually probably want to spend a little more time kind of introducing this passage and introducing this message than I do really on the points of the sermon because I think if we miss the introduction to where we're headed that we may miss the points of the sermon and we may even worse than that miss the theme of First Peter altogether. And, and really, I'm hoping that after our time together today, it might the Holy Spirit might just whet your appetite with the words of this passage to kind of make you want to dig in and go discover a little bit more about First Peter uh, yourself. So that's one of my goals that I have in mind as, as we're studying through that today. So um, we are beginning in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's the author. They always sign their names at the beginning of the letter. We sign ours at the end of a letter today, but they would sign their name at the beginning of the letter. And then verse 1 says, To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, these folks used to be in Jerusalem, but now they have been scattered, and we have a picture of where these, these uh, territories are. Uh, I don't know if you can see over here to the right, you'll see in purple Bithynia and Pontus, you'll see Galatia, you'll see Cappadocia, uh, you see the Mediterranean Sea there just south of that. So really what that is, if you see the next slide, kind of zooming in on that, it's really modern day Turkey. That these, uh, these exiles, as uh, Peter calls them, uh, have now been scattered because of persecution that came to them in Jerusalem. And they have landed uh, across the northern part of Turkey. Uh, Paul would later plant churches in the southern part of Turkey and throughout Asia Minor. In the northern part of Turkey, there were also Christians that had been scattered. These are, I believe, Jews and Gentiles that now find themselves uh, as exiles, as aliens, as strangers in a land uh, that's different from them. In fact, this word exiles here in verse 1 uh, is translated a lot of different ways in our English Bible. Uh, one translation calls it uh, calls us uh, or calls them aliens. The old King James says strangers. Uh, the New King James calls uh, these folks pilgrims or sojourners. One of my favorite translations calls them temporary residents. I think that really describes who they are. We might use the word immigrant or refugee, although those are really politically charged words in our culture these days. Um, but uh, here in the NIV that we read this morning, uh, the translation says, To God's elect exiles scattered throughout these provinces. They're exiles. They're temporary residents. They're, they're exiles in a lot of ways. They're exiles geographically. They used to live in Palestine. They used to live in Jerusalem. That was their home. They knew that land. 
and now they're in a territory in a geographic location that's different from home they're not home they're in a strange land and they're strangers in that land so there's a a, a way in which they are exiles geographically there's a way in which they're exiles culturally the culture of Asia Minor the culture of, of uh, that territory that now is modern-day Turkey is a different culture than what they grew up with in Jerusalem still part of the Roman Empire but a different culture even even though it's still part of the Roman Empire different linguistically they're not speaking uh, the same language although Greek is beginning to permeate the entire Roman Empire still in Palestine it was a strong population there that spoke Hebrew even in their first century day and so they're they're dealing with a new culture they're dealing with a new language they're dealing with a new territory they're dealing uh, spiritually they are strangers they are exiles they are temporary residents they don't feel at home because now they're in a culture that is hostile to the gospel hostile to Christ followers and that's really the point I think the Holy Spirit is making in putting first Peter in our Bible for you and I to realize what it must have been like for them but what it also would be like for us to be in a land that is not our home and do you realize Christian that you live in a land that is not your home the old song says this world is not my home I'm only passing through that's really true of us when you were saved something radical happened to you this world is not your home anymore we're strangers we're exiles we are temporary residents on this planet and our citizenship really truly is somewhere else and so our values are different our purpose is different our priorities are different our allegiances are different than before we came to Christ um, and there's several verses throughout the New Testament that talk about this Paul was writing Timothy in the book of 2nd Timothy and he's writing about one of his colleagues named Demas and he said you know what happened to Demas Demas deserted me in the midst of the ministry when I thought Demas was standing by my side Demas deserted me and this is what he says to Timothy in 2nd Timothy 410 Demas because he loved this world has deserted me <laughs> Paul knew that this world was not our home this is not what we're to fall in love with first John chapter 2 verse 19 says they went out from us but they did not really belong to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us but their going showed that none of them belonged to us the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 our citizenship is in heaven that's really one of the plainest statements of what Peter's trying to communicate in this passage uh, that our citizenship is in heaven Paul said and we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ this is not the only time in Peter that he'll use this phrase that we're exiles he'll use it again down in verse 17 of chapter 1 it's a different Greek word but our, our Bible translates it foreigners and then in chapter 2 uh, verse 11 he uses both words foreigners and exiles we are foreigners in this land this is not our homeland heaven is our homeland we are exiles strangers temporary residents so how are you to live in a world in which you are just a temporary resident a world in which 
This is not your home. You may consider yourself a, a citizen of Volusia County or of Port Orange or of Florida, but the fact of the matter is our citizenship is in heaven. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, he goes through and talks about all these heroes of the faith that we read about in the Old Testament, and he gives a little biography or a little snippet of each of their lives, and it comes to that list of, of tracing through all those heroes of the Old Testament, and then the writer of Hebrews says this, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That is, they didn't, they didn't see Christ. They died during the Old Testament time. They never got to see Christ. They never got to see the cross. They never got to see those prophecies fulfilled, those promises fulfilled. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. A couple of chapters later, the writer of Hebrews would say, for we do not have an enduring for, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. So Peter is trying to establish the fact from the very beginning that we are spiritual exiles on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we live in a land and we live in a culture, whether we are in the United States of America or whether we're elsewhere in the world, this planet, this world system is hostile to the ways of God and hostile to the gospel. So how are you and I to operate in a world that's hostile to the gospel? You see in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, uh, exiles scattered throughout these provinces, verse 2, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So anytime you, you study a book of the Bible, there's going to be a major theme. For us in 1 Peter, it is... Uh, how we deal with uh, the suffering that comes to Christians in a world that's hostile to the gospel. But there are always secondary themes that come up. So the word elect in verse 1 is a rabbit that we're not going to chase this morning. Uh, you see the symbol on the screen of uh, the Trinity. And uh, he mentions in verse 2, uh, the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, obedience to Christ. And this historically is a symbol that represents the Trinity. So the, the doctrine of the Trinity is laid out here in verse 2 for us. That's a rabbit we're not going to chase this morning. But as you're studying through a book of the Bible, realize that there's all these opportunities to drill down deeper and dig a little deeper into some things that the author is, is raising up. What I do want to point out in verse 3 is kind of a key phrase to this whole passage and maybe a key phrase to the whole book of First Peter. Look with me in verse 3. Praise be to God, uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope. And that's the phrase I want you to see, a living hope. And really, if we could give this message today a title, that might be it. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God offers to these Christians in first century uh, Asia, or first century what would become one day Turkey, he offers them a living hope. And believer, God offers you and me a living hope today. Now what does that mean? What does the word hope mean? Well, we use the word hope today a lot like the word wish. Oh, I hope I win the lottery. Well, I wish I win the lottery. Kind of the same thing. But that's not the way the word the Bible the, the way the Bible uses the word hope. 
when the Bible uses the word hope, the Bible is saying this is a confident expectation. This is the assurance that something is mine, that I possess this. And Peter says that this living hope is based on this reality, Jesus is risen from the dead. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would not have a living hope. There would be no hope. We would be dead and doomed and damned in our sins. And we would be without hope. But, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we have a living hope. So, I want you to see three things about this living hope. And and what we'll kind of do is, actually, if you don't mind, we'll start at the end of our passage... Uh, and we'll kind of work our way back up. So we kind of are looking at this passage uh, backwards. And uh, that's okay. Some of you have heard me preach before, and you know I preach kind of backwards anyway. So that's going to work out good. So we'll start, first of all, in towards the end of this passage in verses 10, 11, and 12. Uh, and so you see there in verses 10, 11, and 12, Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look into these things. This living hope, I want you to see, is rooted in the past. It's rooted in the past. And because it's rooted in the past, we can have great confidence in this living hope. Now, when I say rooted in the past, I'm not, I'm not just talking about nostalgia. You know? I'm not just talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I remember my grandma. My grandma loved Jesus. She talked about Jesus all the time. And, and, and that was really important to my grandma. And I love my grandma. And she was a great person. And so I hear you talking about all this Jesus stuff, and yeah, it kind of brings back good memories for me because it makes me think of my grandma, and I can smell her cookies right now and see her apron. And yeah, that's a, that's a good kind of nostalgic thing. This whole Jesus stuff is, kind of brings back good memories from my childhood with, with my godly grandma. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter says we can have confidence in this living hope because it is rooted in the past. In other words... Uh, these Old Testament prophets predicted that Jesus would come, the Messiah, the Deliverer, and the glories, he says, that would be revealed in him. And they did that hundreds of years before they ever came to pass. One of the evidences that the Bible really is the Word of God is all of these Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled sometimes to the very minute detail. We can have confidence in this living hope because it's rooted in the past. These Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, that he would be born in Bethlehem, the town that he would be born in, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Um, And uh, Micah chapter 6, they predicted that he would be Jewish. Not only that he would be Jewish, but that he would specifically come from the Jewish tribe of Judah, that he would come from the family of King David, that his name would be called Emmanuel hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that he would come from Nazareth, that he would be betrayed, 
The Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would be crucified among criminals, and that prophecy happened seven centuries before crucifixion was even a form of execution. But these Old Testament prophets, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are making these predictions, making these prophecies, and they all came true in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have great confidence in this living hope because it is rooted in the past. They predicted that Jesus would be mocked and ridiculed. They predicted that the, uh, his garments would be gambled for, and they were by the soldiers at the foot of the cross. They predicted that he would be a sacrifice for sin. They predicted that he would be buried with the rich, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb of a wealthy man that belonged to a wealthy man. And they predicted that he would rise from the dead. And there are over 300 of these kinds of predictions in the Old Testament pointing to Christ who gives us this living hope. Our living hope is based on the resurrection of Christ from the dead and it's rooted in the past and that should give us great confidence. So think about these first century Christians. Things got hot and heavy at home. It was no longer safe to stay in Jerusalem for their very lives and for the safety of their families they had to get out of Dodge. And so they pack up everything they can as much as they can take with them and they head north. And they settle in this land of Asia Minor, all these districts that are mentioned here, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, in, in what we know as Turkey. So I'll just keep calling it Turkey, even though it wasn't Turkey back then. So they resettle into Turkey. And, and the tendency for most of us would be to despair. Look at what we've had to leave behind. Uh, is, is Christ really worth following? Maybe they were right back in Jerusalem and we shouldn't be following Christ. Maybe this is all just a, a, a hoax, a myth, a scam. But they knew that this was a living hope. How did they know that? Because it was rooted in the past. All of these prophecies, all of these promises gave them confidence that this hope was living and real. It is rooted in the past and so it gives us confidence. I also want you to see that it's anchored in the present. Look at verses 6 through 9. It's anchored in the present. Peter says in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving, the, you are receiving, present tense verb, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This living hope is not irrelevant. It's not outdated. It is It is rooted in the past, but it's also anchored in the present. It's anchored in the present. And because it's anchored in the present, these Christians that were now dispersed to Turkey and in a hostile environment that opposed the gospel, they could have courage. They could have courage. Now, courage is not the absence of fear. Some of you here today have served our country in the military. Some of you maybe have even seen combat. And you would tell us 
that a soldier's courage doesn't mean that there's no fear, but courage means you're going to press on in the midst of that danger, in the midst of that opposition, in the midst of that struggle, you're going to press on and, and accomplish your mission. That's what courage is. And these believers in Turkey could have courage because their living hope was anchored in the present. And you, friend, you today, living in maybe a family that doesn't appreciate the fact that you're a Christ follower, or you're in a job where your co-workers are hostile to your faith, or maybe classmates that you have at school don't appreciate or embrace the fact that you're a Christ follower, you can have courage because the living hope that God offers to you is anchored in the present. We have to realize we're aliens, we're strangers, we're immigrants, we're temporary residents in this world. But that doesn't mean that God intends for us to be hostile combatants. And I'm afraid too many Christians today are like that. They're just mad. They're just angry. And, and sometimes they're just mean-spirited. I mean, read their Facebook posts. <laughs> read their tweets. Listen to their words. There's, there's sometimes just a spirit among Christians of being angry at the culture and sour and bitter and cynical and despairing. But notice what Peter says our response should be to this living hope that is anchored right now in the present. Not just looking back with nostalgia and not just looking to pie in the sky by and by when you die, but right now in the nitty-gritty of what you're having to go through right now as a Christ follower, look at what how Peter describes this. He says in verse 3, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're getting this letter from Peter. Things are tough for you. You're being insulted and intimidated and ostracized because of your faith. And you're reading Peter's letter. And he says, Praise God. Praise God. Oh, there's great cause for worship in the heart of Christ followers. Why? You have a living hope. Not a living hope that, that uh, is outdated from the past. Not a living hope that doesn't kick in until you get to heaven. A living hope right now. Praise God, he says in verse 3. And then he says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. In verse 7 he says, That this living hope may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In verse 8 he says, You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Does that describe your life? Is that the living hope that you are experiencing? Oh, friend, let's not be those Christians that are angry and bitter and sour and cynical and despairing in the midst of a culture that is hostile to the gospel. Let's be filled with praise and joy and rejoicing that results in praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand we are strangers in this land. Our citizenship is elsewhere. And and we may be viewed with contempt. We may be even viewed with hostility. Uh, the day may come, even in the United States, where we may suffer a more intense persecution, like we see our brothers and sisters around the world facing today. But friend, that that shouldn't leave us fearful or angry or despairing think about this 
you're living in Jerusalem, you're trying to follow Christ, you're under the teaching of James and Peter and the other church elders there in the Jerusalem church, but persecution comes. It gets so intense that you fear for your life and for your family to the point that you really need to leave town. You take what you can and you leave and you go. So now in your new home, what do you do? Well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Let's just not tell anybody that we're Christ followers. Let's just leave that under the radar. We can go to work. We can go to school. We can be the neighbors we're supposed to be. We can do all that. But let's just not let all that trouble boil up again. We'll just keep things smooth and easy and not let anybody know that we're Christ followers. That's not what Peter's encouraging them to do. And that's not what they did. Praise God, that's not what they did. They went to Turkey with a missionary mindset. Yes, we are exiles, strangers, temporary residents, but we're Christ followers. And through this persecution, God has opened up doors for us that we wouldn't have had otherwise. To carry the gospel now to Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. Doors have opened up for the gospel because of the hardship that we're going through. They went with a missionary mindset. And I would submit to you that we need to engage our culture today with a missionary mindset. We don't have to go overseas anymore to be missionaries. We're in a foreign land right here. This is not where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're temporary residents here. We're exiles, strangers. And we operate with a missionary mindset. What does that mean? What does a missionary do when they go to a foreign land? Well... They learn the language. They study the culture. They look for contact points in that culture where there can be doors to the gospel and avenues for a witness. And that's the way we need to be operating in a culture, even a culture that's hostile to the gospel. We need to kind of be learning the language. We need to kind of be uh, studying the culture. We need to be looking for those contact points in our setting where we have open doors to the gospel. We need to have a missionary mindset. Not a fortress mentality that we're just going to hunker down and lay low and try to stay off the radar till Jesus comes. We're going to stay out of trouble, stay out of persecution, avoid as much hostility as we can, and just, just kind of have this fortress mentality. That's not a missionary mindset. Missionaries don't go to the foreign field to hunker down and lay low. They go to the foreign field to engage people, to build relationships, to build bridges to the gospel. That's what Peter is saying that these Christians must do even though they're not being received with open arms to, the, uh, to this new land. We can't wallow in self-pity. We're not the victims here. And we can't, we can't view Christianity in America today as being victims of, of whoever. Jesus is alive today. He has risen from the dead. And because of that, we have a living hope in that. And there's reason for joy for you and for me this morning. You say, well, that's great. I don't really see what that has to do with me. It means that right now there is cause for worship. There is cause for great joy. There is cause for great rejoicing in your life. Your life doesn't need to be marked by despair or bitterness or regret or heartache. That's the worst advertisement for Christianity. If you're walking around and 
you're mad at the political system and the election stuff and the the violence and the the shootings that are happening across our land and the beheadings that are happening elsewhere and 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 you're just uh, irritated and angry and upset all the time that's a horrible advertisement for Christianity Peter is saying our hearts ought to be filled with joy and rejoicing and ought to be building bridges to the gospel God offers you a living hope not wishing that all this trouble would go away not wishing that everybody would love us and love Jesus and love the gospel but a confident expectation that God has put us in these circumstances right now, right where you are, your job, your neighborhood, your class, so that you might be a bridge builder for the gospel. Well, there will be difficulties along the way. And, and he goes on through the rest of Second Peter, I mean, excuse me, First Peter, to talk about these. Now, at this point, these Christians were not being uh, executed and martyred. Uh, most of the things that we read about in First Peter were things like insults and intimidation and verbal abuse and trials. So he does allude to beatings, but uh, most of this is just an emotional and a verbal intimidation. We don't want your Christian stuff here. Just keep silent about it. Just stop putting that on us. That kind of stuff. And And sometimes... That kind of suffering comes because now you're a Christ follower and you used to not be a Christ follower and your friends don't really understand that. And so some of the places you used to go and some of the things you used to do, you don't necessarily do those anymore and that bothers them. And so they kind of take some shots at you. Or maybe they give you the cold shoulder and just won't have anything to do with you anymore. Uh, he talks about that in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Sometimes... It's just the culture that we live in is growing more hostile to the gospel. talks about that in the end of chapter 2. Um, but these Christians are facing ostracization and uh, grumblings and threats and abandonment and, and those kind of things. And maybe you've experienced some of those jokes and remarks that are pointed at you and insults that are aimed at you and uh, cold shoulders and, and those kind of things. Uh, that is really the theme of First Peter. How do we operate in a culture and society like that? Because the day was coming. Peter may not have known it, but the Holy Spirit certainly knew it. The day was coming where the, where the persecution was really going to be dialed up. Towards the end of Nero's reign, he would begin the wholesale execution of Christians with the goal of exterminating them from the planet. And then his successor, Diocletian, and the other successors as Roman emperors were really, uh, those first three centuries of Christianity uh, almost eliminated believers from the planet because of the persecution they faced. And, and the Holy Spirit knew that was coming and is preparing these believers now by giving them the truths of, of 1 Peter. Um, and what was happening to these first, Christian, first century Christians was not as intense as what's happening to some of our brothers and sisters uh, and, and their children overseas with ISIS. At this point, they were not being killed for their faith, but that was coming. Nero's murderous mind was scheming on how he could uh, eliminate the Christians. Right now, it's verbal and emotional persecution for them, but soon it would become violent and deadly. And the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Peter are preparing his people for that 
giving them courage. We can have courage in this living hope because it is anchored in the present. We'll always live in a world that's hostile to the gospel. Why? Because we're aliens here. We're strangers. We're exiles. We are temporary residents. But realize that Peter says this is just polishing you and purifying you and readying you for your homeland. For the fatherland, if you will. And, um, and, and going through these hard days is a process, he says, it's going to refine us like gold. One other thing I'd like you to see, not only is it rooted in the past and anchored in the present, but it's guarded in the future. Look at verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. This living hope is, is unto an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is guarded for the future. And so, um, he speaks of this inheritance. We get an inheritance because we're children of God. We're adopted into God's forever family. You knew I had to work that in sometime today, didn't you? That we're adopted into God's forever family. This inheritance is imperishable. It can never perish. It is uncorrupted. It will not spoil. And it is unfading. It will not fade. That means it's permanent. It's not going to go away. I've been a Christian for over four decades. And so surely by now, my inheritance has begun to fade or spoil or rot. Right? No. My inheritance that is guarded for me in heaven is imperishable. It is uncorrupted. It won't become evil. It won't rot. It won't rust. It is unfading. It is as vibrantly fresh and real today as the day I got saved. It won't lose its luster. He says in verse 4, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And not only is it kept in heaven for you, but you, verse 5, you are shielded by God's power for it. It is being guarded, and you are being shielded. So either way you look at it, this inheritance, we should take great comfort in the fact that this inheritance is guarded for you. I think of, I think of some of these movies like Ant-Man or Mission Impossible, you know, where uh, somebody's got to break into a room to steal something, uh, and that, that room, that, that whatever that thing is, is in this fortress-like facility, and the, you know, you've got to have the biometric passcode with the thumbprint and the, and the cornea scanner to get in. And then when you get in, there's all these uh, temperature controls. So if your body raises the temperature, the alarms will go off. Or if you trip a laser, uh, the alarms will go off. And you've got to navigate all that. There's camera surveillance that you've got to overcome. And there's this elite security personnel that's heavily armed. And you've got to figure a way to navigate around them and try to get in and steal that thing. Listen, your inheritance is, is guarded much more safely than that. <laughs> the inheritance that God has for you in heaven. And the power with which he is shielding you today is much greater than any kind of human security. So let me close with this. How does this living hope become yours? How does this living hope become mine? He tells us back in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us, watch this, a new birth into a living hope. How do we get the living hope? Through the new birth. Through the new birth. 
when God comes and brings our spirits to life and we come to Jesus in repentance and in faith, we step away from being our own boss and calling our own shots and we turn our lives over to Him uh, and we lean into Him, leaning into the cross, leaning into what Christ has done on our behalf, knowing that He took our penalty and our punishment for our sin. We are born again and we are born again into this living hope. This living hope that gives us confidence because it's rooted in the past. It gives us courage because it's anchored in the present. It gives us comfort because it's guarded for the future. Is that hope yours today? It can be if you'll come to Christ. It is gained through the new birth and only through the new birth. If you have experienced the new birth, that is, if you have been, as the Bible says, born again, then that living hope is yours today. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that living hope is extended to you by God himself this morning. And all you have to do to receive and experience that living hope is to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. To come to Jesus and be saved. And that living hope can be yours. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that with great confidence we can trust that the living hope that you have provided for us because of the resurrection of Christ and through the new birth is ours. And that today, no matter what we're facing, whatever difficulties or hostilities or uh, friends that have betrayed or abandoned us because we are Christ followers, we can know that we have courage to press on with a missionary mindset to carry and extend that living hope to others. And we thank you for that day that's coming when that inheritance will be ours, that you're guarding it for us and shielding us for it. And we pray even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today might be the day that they would turn from their sin, trust in what Christ did for them on the cross, and be saved so that that living hope could be their experience this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.